0: I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor.
1: What's up, everybody? Happy Wednesday. This podcast is late. Monday's was late, too. I apologize. I'm trying to figure out... Had to get these to you earlier after games have happened while I'm asleep. It's, uh, it's a battle I'm losing at the moment, but we take it as it comes. You know, I'm losing, the Celtics are losing. Not much is really going either of our way, to be quite honest. I'm joined by Mr. Greg Menakis man- from the Green with Envy podcast. Great Celtics podcast if you guys haven't listened to it. If you haven't, then make sure you listen to me first, and then you can go and <laughs> listen to them. You know, one on the way to work, one on the way back. Greg, how are you doing today, man? Thanks for taking the time to join me
0: yeah man i'm doing good i'm doing good i wish that game went a little different last night but uh I'm, I'm happy to be here i'm very honored not gonna lie i feel very honored
1: oh the honors my honors all mine man and um wishing the game went a different way is uh an understatement right i mean this was i had it marked down as a barometer game like where you could you on the back of beating two teams that you should be beating quite soundly you've seen an improved performance in ball movement improved shot selection everything in the last few like since the middle of last week has looked swimming we look great and you consistently see people that are saying well wait until you play better opposition and while that's true you also want to enjoy the moment right sports are meant to be fun we played a better opposition and then we it's very easy to recognize where the disparities are in talent level right like the the Sixers, for me, their defensive pressure, on-ball pressure, off-ball pressure from the perimeter and around the rim, uh, they were exceptional. Uh, I think the Celtics really struggled early to make anything happen. Uh, the Sixers knew that scouting report. They um, they were pinching their wings. They were hedging, picking rolls. They didn't let none of the weave actions off the corners really make a difference at all. Um, how did you kind of see that going for Boston once they started getting those early turnovers?
0: Yeah, I mean, and the, the thing that, stood out to me about watching the sixers is just how long they are man they i mean how many deflections did they have in that game i don't i don't even know i know they had like over maybe eight or nine steals um all the all the gaps that were open in the previous two games just weren't there they closed quickly and when you have Embiid sitting there in the middle just like when you watch utah play they can just funnel everything to Embiid and fly it guys and get them off the three-point line because they're not worried about somebody scoring on Embiid in the paint. And that's one of the things that, you know, when when Lobb went out uh, in early foul trouble, it affected our offense because he's been facilitating so much from the the top of the key, and it affected our defense in that we didn't have any rim protection because Luke Cornett definitely wasn't providing it.
1: You make a really good point. The way the Sixers have always run everything is you funnel it into the middle. Same with uh, Utah, as you point out. A byproduct of that, and you see this against Utah too, has generally been if you funnel to the middle and pressure the perimeter, the mid range is usually open for you to get some work in, and that's where you kind of look at Kemba Walker and Jason Tatum, and now Jalen, who's been hot most of the year from mid range, and say, "Get to work, guys. This is you know this is where you apparently thrive." This year, though, what this Sixers team do really well. Is they collapse in from that perimeter and pinch towards the ball handler basically flooding him to take away those passing lanes in that mid-range area and now you're shooting over guys that as you rightly point out have some serious length so not only have the Sixers added shooting on the offensive end this year they've also recognized where their weakness was on defense that boston kind of really attacked during the playoffs last year and they've figured out a way and a scheme that allows them to play the defense they want but to counter the counter to that defense mm. and i think that i've been underestimating that adjustment from them i haven't really watched as much sixes as what i'd like generally out of principle you know i watch a lot of basketball i tend to skip over the sixes um but it's definitely that adjustment there makes things like well how do you score on them because you can't back up guys when just two guys pinching in on you and the, the way they rotate off ball as well was, um I've wrote it down as ferocious. Like they just did not give an inch of room anywhere. And I, I sat here earlier rewatching the game and asking myself like, well, how can you beat this? How can you counter this and scheme against them? And where can your points come from? Have you had any ideas of where you'd like Boston to try and score on
0: them? Man, honestly, it it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. Um, I don't have anything off the top of my head, but I do know that adding Fournier into the mix and just having another guy that can attack and spread, um, one of the things that bothers me watching Tatum play is just how how slow his shot is, right? And when you go up against a guy like Ben Simmons who can contest, you saw Ben Simmons got back and contested Tatum's shot unlike anybody has been able to do this year. And if you can't stretch the defense with the three-point shot, and it's going to be really difficult to, to beat the Sixers. And Fournier is one of those guys that has that added range where he could step, you know, three to five feet behind the line and get off his shot quickly and um, also move off of screens and play well off of screens. And we didn't, you know, without him in there, who do we really have that can do that? You know, Kemba's too short. He, he can't get off a shot against them um, Jalen has improved with that but he's still not that's still not his forte is coming off of, coming off of screens so adding fournier in there definitely provides an element that i think can make the sixers defense have to fly around just a little bit more and overreact another couple feet which could open up that mid-range as you were talking like maybe that extra couple feet is what's needed you know with someone who can come off of screens so Evan Fournier definitely i thought that hurt a lot. And then the fact that we didn't have uh, Rob Williams in, in the game from for much of the game man, because of foul trouble, the way that he's been flying out to set his screens, he sprints into every single screen, and that's very difficult to guard. If you have a big on offense that's running into all the screens and setting it without committing a foul – you know, having Luke Cornette in there who's really just a pick and pop threat, and is he much of a threat? Honestly, like the Sixers are gonna live with Cornette shooting three pointers all day. So I think those are the two big that stand two big things that stand out to me. How much of a difference will Fournier actually make? And two, is is Rob Williams going to be able to stay on the court against that team because Embiid and Dwight Howard just bullied him all night?
1: I mean, the first thing I want to touch on there is the Fournier stuff. And I agree. And I think that Fournier's, uh, the additional shooting that he brings, causes more of a a headache for the Sixers. But what I would kind of push with on this, and it's something that concerns me, is if you need to rely on consistent movement shooting to force a team into rotations, the hope of being able to surpass them in a playoff series is quite Mm. negligible. Because movement shooting within itself is usually a bailout if you've got movement shooters you still want them taking set shots over in motion off a screen because the percentage you start to drop incrementally every second you're kind of gliding laterally in the sky Mm -hmm. um so I, i like the idea of having somebody that can do that with some form of consistency but i do think that there needs to be more feathers to the celtics bow offensively than what they've shown so far because if there isn't this team's going to be getting clamped down. And now other teams are going to see how Philly have nullified Jalen and Jason and some other teams throughout the year have managed to nullify one of them. Philly nullified both, essentially. I know JT yeah. got his 20 points. He had a quiet first, as he has been. But you you contain two All-Star Wings. And these two All-Star Wings tend to really ride the momentum wave. I don't know if you agree, but I notice, in my personal opinion, when their offense isn't clicking, their defense usually takes that hit too. And Rob Williams is a huge factor in this. So I agree. Um, one thing I've noticed with Rob is it's not just how he sprints into his screens, but it's the angles that he sets his screens. He'll flip angles on screens, uh, the mm-hmm. Varajal screen where he wants side to do that, way more than what Tristan Thompson does or Luke Cornette. He'll come at 45-degree angles and set like a half-back, half-side screen. And yeah. he just makes it really hard to know that that screen's coming. And if you don't communicate that as a defense then you're hitting that from the blind side and you're taken out of that defensive play then. So losing him was huge. And um, I'm not sure if you watched the post game with Brad Stevens, but they said that they were expecting Rob to pick up some early fouls. And, you know, this for Rob is a huge learning curve because you need to get better with your hand positioning, your body positioning. And then I think this for Rob is a reason, I think Scal mentioned this during the game, this should drive Rob to get into the weight room and add some strength and add Definitely. some size because he got bullied on that low block. And um, I do think that this is a game, and I don't want to sound like I'm anti-Rob Williams because I love the guy, but I think this is a game he needed because there's only so far you can ride the crest of a wave before you need that reality check to make you double down on your your work ethic. Um, but I am concerned about if this team was to match up with Philly in, in, in a first or a second round, how they adjust to actually find ways to score what a high percentage that you can attack
0: with consistency yeah and one of the biggest issues against the Sixers in general and I thought we actually got super lucky last year you know sweeping them in the playoffs I thought was a fluke you know Ben Simmons being out he makes such a difference for them defensively and you'll see a wide variety of opinions on how good Ben Simmons is but if, if people are saying that Ben Simmons is not you know, a difference maker on the defensive end, then they don't really know what they're talking about. That dude is one of the top defenders in the entire world, you know? And then last year in the playoffs, I thought we got super lucky that, you know, Brett Brown just wasn't a good coach. He could have had Ty in the game covering Kemba and take Kemba out of that series, and he didn't. He had Tybo guard Garden Tatum for the most part when Tybo was in the game, and that's not the type of guy that really gives Tatum issues. You know what I mean? So I, I thought we got lucky to sweep them last year. I didn't think we were four game four games to zero better than the Sixers. And when when you think about Rob, right? He's kind of always been that guy that he doesn't have a great um, you know center of gravity. He he plays upright and he's a pogo stick on the court. But when you have guys that can get into his legs, and that's always kind of been an issue, but it's been it hasn't really been an issue with like the the biggest guys in the league because Brad doesn't even play him against those guys. He's like, you know what? He he can't handle Embiid. I know coming into this year, he had only guarded Embiid for like a handful of possessions in his entire career. And is Tristan Thompson the answer? You know, like uh, on, on Green with Envy, Will and I were talking about teams that we actually fear in the playoffs. And for me, I think we can beat the Sixers. I think you can game. Like I think Brad could probably come up with a game plan where we we might be able to beat them in a seven-game series. I don't think we would right now, but I think we can. Like they're not so talented that we can't beat them. The one team that I, I think we can cannot beat no matter what is Brooklyn. But it's going to be a very tall task to beat the Sixers, in my opinion.
1: I mean, for me, like the one narrative I want to take about Robert Williams here before we move on to the next point, which is going to be about centers again, but you know, there's more centers that played this game. Um, for me, like with Rob Williams as a guy that's projecting as this starting level big man, there's going to be games where you're up against a dominant big, whether that be a Joel Embiid, a Nikola Jokic is going to be a completely different problem, but a very similar problem in terms of size and strength. Uh, De- Anthony Davis is going to be another one. Heck, even someone like Andre Drummond that can just physically move you out of the way when they're hosting you up on the block. I think there's a huge, um, a huge amount of strength that Rob Williams needs to add in order to be able to hang with these elite level bigs and when people have asked me like where do you think Robert Williams ceiling is I'm always like I think he's going to be a second tier big man and I Mm -hmm. still think that's an excellent tier to be in you know you're not elite but you're one of the best of the rest and I think that he can get there but it's going to take a lot of physical conditioning and a lot of strength conditioning because at the moment he does just look that little bit too lightweight to bang with the titans down there
0: yeah, I, I agree 100%. I, I, Will and I were talking about this on, on the last pod. It's just like, w- what is Rob Williams ceiling? I mean, I think he could give you 15, 10, three, you know, four assists, three blocks and two steals, which is a hell of a, a line. But it comes down to what is he going to be able to do against the elite centers? You know, and, and certain teams have them that are contenders in the league and that's a reality that you got to deal with. You know, that that's why I I know you said you wanted to talk about uh, other centers in here in just a second, but that's why I thought it was such a big deal that the Celtics weren't able to get a Drummond or an Aldridge on the buyout market. And I know, you know, the reasoning behind it, you you don't want to bring those guys in and potentially take away from Rob's development or, you know, something like that, but it against a team like the Sixers or against a team like the Nuggets or even the the Lakers you know if we were so fortunate to get there you need a big that can bang and like I said Tristan Thompson's probably not the guy
1: yeah I feel like we were sold um sold a dud in Tristan Thompson you know when you (laughs) go to the used car lot and they've like polished this old car up and it looks amazing and you're like this is the car I want and then you get off the lot and you're about 10 minutes down the road and the engine falls out and you're like oh that's how I feel with Christian Thompson because the player that he was in Cleveland two years ago is definitely what Boston need right now, but they mm-hmm. don't have that player. They have the Christian Thompson with no engine, and it, it <laughs> is it is troublesome for me. I it's like a I like the analogies like that. Um, what we did see was we saw Brad try and counter Embiid with Taco Four. Now I am not a Taco Four guy. Anyone that listens to this podcast regularly knows that. While I think Taco has a place in the league, I don't think it's on a contending team, especially at this point in his career. But I will say that when he was in, um, Embiid thought twice about venturing into the paint. I know Taco looks skinny, but he's seven foot whatever he is. He's like If he was short, he'd be stacked, dude, because he's like 360 pounds. He's a heavy guy. So I think Embiid, um, with the size difference that Taco brings and the wingspan, I think that's a good way to force Embiid to have to beat you from outside. The downside is Embiid is more than capable of beating you from outside. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that adjustment? Because I was a little bit shocked. I'm not going to lie to see Taco into so early in the game.
0: Yeah, I was. I was actually advocating for it, man. I tweeted out uh, in the first quarter. I was like, you might as well throw Taco out there for a few possessions, man. I it, like. I mean, he just bullied Cornette, that first possession. He, he put him into the front, the first row. Um, so I, I like Taco just because he's so freaking huge, and you don't see seven foot six every day. You know, so you can't throw him out there. And I don't think you can do this against any team, but you can't throw him out there for more than a short stint. But as, uh, you know, he's almost like a knuckleballer in, in baseball. You got to throw him out there just to like switch the rhythm up of what the team is doing. If, if you can make the Sixers change what they're doing or, or any other team change what they're doing for a two-minute stretch and potentially get them out of their rhythm, especially against a rhythm player like Embiid, uh, I, I, I think it's a good move to try out even just for a little bit, man, you know, Cornette, he, he can add a little bit more stretch in the floor. But like I said earlier, he, he's similar to Tice and that his three point shot is theoretical. Like, yeah, he can hit it, but no one's going to respect it. But when tacos in the game on offense, You have to respect 7-6 rolling to the rim. And he's a big guy. He's a pretty good screen setter. Like he has a he has some room to grow with that, but he's such a big body that he definitely makes a difference and people get hung up on his screens. And Embiid didn't want to leave his body. So you know, when Taco rolls to the rim, that at least creates a threat. And I don't think Luke Cornette is a threat, like an actual threat that teams care about. That's just a gimmick in my opinion. So I, I like the move, man. I like the move. And I would like to see it a little bit more frequently. I think Brad, he loves the guys that just have that high college basketball IQ. And Cornette has that high college basketball IQ where he can move the ball and be in the right place, be a good position defender. But sometimes I think he underestimates the, the, the mentality that taco changes in the other team It's just like oh now everyone wants to either go dunk on taco or everyone's even scared to go in the paint and it takes teams out of what they're doing which is fair i mean it's not something i've considered like the taco form
1: uh, um, adverse mentality my biggest issues with taco have always been that i don't think he has the required skill set to be a valuable scoring piece for a team and i also don't think he has the required footwork to be a true defensive piece. I understand putting him out there against someone like Embiid just to force them to think twice about going into the paint and rolling. You obviously have an amazing um, love threat just because he's almost as tall as the rim. Um, but I do like the. I did like the move. I thought that we saw some of Boston's best stretches when Tucker was out there in terms of, you know they were forcing misses and actually using those misses to push the pace and try and get some early offense going, which is new for Boston. Usually when they're struggling, they'll force the pace and then go iso. With Luke Cornett, the the only good thing I like about Cornett on defense is the fact that when he challenges a shot, it is almost always vertically. So you're very rarely giving up a a foul when you know Cornett's defending. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that Brad Stevens values as well. Just because if you can challenge a shot vertically, whether or not you make that shot is, isn't is the point. It's irrespective. It's the fact that guys know that they're going to find it very hard to veer in front of you or to bump off of you to try and get that contact and draw the foul. And just by having that, you're kind of saving yourself some additional points that other guys might give up by fouling while defending the room so i see the value there um the three point shot I like how you call it theoretical it does definitely need to be seen over a far bigger stretch than what we've seen at the moment uh I, i think it's valuable he's definitely a better three point shooter than what tice was but that's pretty and that and the vertical defensive um positioning are probably the only two things he's better than tice at so um i wouldn't say it's an upgrade by any means Moving on, another guy that we've seen that we haven't seen much of is a a guy that you tweeted at me about the other day, actually, about Mr. Romeo Langford. Uh, Everyone who's listening is rolling their eyes at this point. (laughs) I think we saw some good stretches from him again. Uh, The one thing I like the most is that if you watch him off-ball, he was one of the only guys that was actually cutting off-ball and finding success with it. Mm -hmm. He was going baseline. He was coming up trying to set wedge screens to get guys down into the low block. Um, Not everything was working for him. But he was trying he wasn't letting the offense stagnate he'd clear outsides to try and create driving lanes for guys and while he's not exactly an a high impact player there were some good stretches with him on the floor that i think that the Celtics really needed and it makes me question why the other guys the higher level guys the jasons and the jadens aren't doing more off ball and utilizing the gravity that they have to create these opportunities why is it left up to these uh, second year guys, third year guys, to come in and change the dynamic of a game when they don't even have the ball in their hands. Why can't this be for the stars that actually have the real gravity to go in there and
0: do? Yeah, well, I I think that we, over the past month or so, we've definitely seen more cutting from Tatum and, and Brown, especially back cuts. Um, you know, as they're coming, you know, when when the balls at lot with lob at the top of the key. And they're coming up towards the screen a lot of times they're you know countering that and that handoff at the back cut um so i I like that um it i don't think it's as intuitive for them man you know when you have guys that you know maybe with tatum I'm, i'm more talking about tatum tatum is a guy that's had the ball in his hands his entire life and when you're asked to do something you've never done before and just say hey Do it. Cut. It's not ingrained in his DNA to cut off ball as much as is maybe for Romeo or, you know, like a Peyton Pritchard or someone that's kind of had to do it their whole life. So, you know, I I think with Tatum, it's a learning curve. And all I'm looking for right now is that Tatum is making more attempts to do it and he has to learn how to do it, man. And I I think with Fournier in the lineup, he's another guy that I think will be a very intuitive cutter um, off the ball. And Langford, what I think he brings more than anything, man, is just another guy that has an actual basketball IQ on the court. Because Semi Ojeley doesn't have it, and we can't keep throwing Semi out there. Because Semi, you know, he can stand in the corner and shoot a three-point shot, and he can wall up on defense. But he's not a hooper, man. Romeo Langford is a straight-up hooper. He's a bona fide hooper. And the more minutes that we can start throwing him out there, and the less minutes we have to put the semis of the world out on the court. I think the Celtics still have a lot of room for growth I don't know that we're ever gonna get there this year but I'm loving what Romeo brings to the court man I've always been on on team Romeo just like you but I know I know you probably have like a whole essay that you can go to right now talk more about what Romeo did to impact this game and what he's gonna I think uh, I've got a hard drive of just (laughs)
1: Romeo love um seriously though like I agree I've spoke very much on here about how Shemi's um lack of consistency to this point is just continually rewarded he comes back from being out for a while get straight back into this lineup against the Sixers I just don't understand what the appeal is for Shemi I understand it he's a 3 and D wing he's proven he can defend on a certain, you know one every two games he's gonna have a good defensive game one every three games he'll hit a couple of shots from deep but that's not consistent enough for me to be on a team that everybody expects to be a championship contender i just don't mm-hmm. understand it and when the team isn't in contention like i don't think he is at the moment then those minutes need to come away from him because there's other guys that need to develop you've got Smith that needs those minutes to develop now langford's back he needs those minutes to develop Smith comes into the game straight away euro steps get a finish at the hoop in the fourth quarter you know what i mean like that was more than what shemi did the entire time he was on the floor i know it wasn't a long stint but there's a few questions about the roster construction that are more existential that we can wait until the off season to really discuss um but for me it was definitely eye-opening and uh with just the fact that once that ball movement didn't work because if you look at the first quarter and some of those uh turnovers they had in that delay area at the top of the key waiting mm-hmm. to run those dhos or run some get actions i think one was a dho with um i think they were both with jalen brown one was a dho and one was a get action uh, and both of them were a pocket pass. So you puck, I think the second time and Brown back cut, both were a pocket pass. Neither of them were successful. Instantly, we don't see that again for the rest of the quarter. Granted, Rub goes out because of fouls, but that's an action that's been very consistent regardless of who the big man is on the floor. And I think Brad mentioned this as well in the post-game press as saying that he feels that once this team didn't find success early in running those actions and finding the open man they went back to the high pick and roll the the angle pick and rolls that they like to run and the isolation offense and that's the sign of a young team trying to figure stuff out because when it gets hard they go back to where they feel comfortable but where they feel comfortable isn't conducive to winning a basketball game against a team at the level of philadelphia how did did you notice them kind of regressing into, into old habits
0: Not as much as I think, uh, you know, I think Reggie Miller brought it up on the TNT broadcast and Brad brought it up after the game. But I still thought that they were still looking to make the extra pass, you know, and and that extra pass was the one that was getting deflected. And I, I almost thought that they were overpassing at times. Or you know they were passing to the guy, and the guy who would take the shot was not the guy you want taking the shot in that moment. Like a Marcus Smart, you know everyone likes to pile on Marcus for overshooting, but there are a couple of times, especially that um, that two for one opportunity where the two for one was gone, and he ended up shooting the shot with like I don't know twenty five seconds left in the quarter, and we ended up not getting a good shot, nor did we get the two for one. Um, but I, I think that i didn't notice anything where it was like oh man they are back to the old way of playing from two months ago i thought they were still playing unselfishly which i liked it's just they weren't necessarily going to the actions that have been successful you know so i didn't think they were i didn't think they were playing selfishly i still thought that they were they they still had the right mentality but probably just the wrong actions and the wrong execution of that mentality
1: i think a lot of the actions got killed by the off-ball defense as well they like to run that one DHO action on the right hand side, where they end up with a guy back cutting. So you'll do a weave action, a guy will back cut, and then you you look for you um your point guard to hit him with a nice pocket pass or a lob. And um, they tried that two or three times through the game. And if you watch for it, the um the Sixers, I can't remember if it was Tobias Harris maybe, but he just cut that cut out. He just stopped. He played well. Yeah, he played phenomenally. He's had a really good year this year. Uh, I think people sleep on him a little bit. But look, the game's over. I think there's a lot of lessons that everybody can take from this, the team, anybody that likes to talk about it like we do. I think this was a great barometer. And now you know where the Celtics need to improve and what they Mm -hmm. need to add or take away from their game. Ready for the next time that these these teams play. This was game three, if I'm not mistaken. I think Um, so. I think in those three games, if I remember correctly, it's been something like 60 or 70. I think it was 72 turnovers against the Sixers in three games. Works out to just under 16 turnovers a game. So Philly definitely have Boston's number in terms of how to pressure the ball out of their hands. Uh, granted, two of those games were earlier in the year where Boston was turning it over to everybody. They had 21 <laughs> against Washington around that time as well. So, you know, read into it what you want to read into it. Later today, though, who we do have next is the New York Knicks, a team that I personally think Boston should be beating. Uh, Julius Randle's been excellent as, um, as a playmaker, as a offensive hub on that high block he's been scoring well outside of him i don't really fear anything they've got to be quite honest i think quickly he'll probably get hot and do something a little bit rj barrack can score here and there how do you feel do you think this is boston's redemption game where they come back out and say right we lost to against we lost against the team that we should be losing against or we it's at least understandable that we lose against mm-hmm. now we need to go out and beat this team that beat us earlier in the year and we should not be losing to this team today
0: Yeah. I mean, the Knicks have been playing well, man. They're playing well. Randall's always given us issues in the past. So, I mean, I'm expecting him to probably put up another triple-double. I don't know if, if Rob is the answer to cover him, but I mean, we just saw what happens when someone gets physical with Rob. He has a tough time guarding them. So, you know, if Rob can stay out of foul trouble, if he can have a nice bounce back game, not having Fournier and Kemba on the second night of the back to back, that's difficult, man. That's that's a lot of pressure to put on uh, Peyton Pritchard, to put on Jason Tatum and Marcus Smart to make plays. But, you know, I, I think the Celtics team in the past, maybe not this season, but in the past, these are the games that you expect them to bounce back and to play well. You know, Brad Stevens teams. Regardless of what happens in game X, game Y, they're going to come back with that grit and, and they're going to pull it out. It might not be pretty tonight because it is the second night of a back-to-back and New York plays tough defense, man. They got a Tibbs defense. So, you know, I, I would imagine that it's going to be a dogfight. I don't think that the Celtics are going to blow out the Knicks by any stretch of the imagination. Do you, Have we gotten any word about Fournier? Is he completely out or is it just like a negative, uh, you know, false negative again? What's the deal with that?
1: As far as it stands right now he won't be playing but okay. that's just because I
0: haven't heard any updates um they usually get emailed
1: over like I'm quite fortunate to get the emails <laughs> um nothing yet that okay. I've heard so um I'm assuming he's going to be out ad- I've been advocating for some Romeo at the point minutes I want mm. Romeo at the point uh, I just think his size and ability to penetrate would help um, with the driving dish and the kick out the, the inside out actions the I like that idea to run. Um, so hopefully we see something a little bit creative like that rather than just more of the same. I do think that, as you say, New York are a tough team. I just expect that when you're coming in off, off a tough loss to a team, you know that you have this, you came into the year with a mental advantage over Philly. They've tried and tried and tried to beat you in the playoffs and they've been unsuccessful. You don't want to let that mental advantage slip because those mental advantages, however minimum, hold something of value once you get back to the postseason so i want boston to come out and kind of make a statement and say look we're dan kemba and fournier we lost to you last night now watch us show you what we're capable of when we are really tuned in and our backs are against the wall i'd like to see that type of statement game today i've just got a feeling that it's going to be the opposite and it's going to be individuals trying to make a statement rather than the collective trying to make the statement
0: Yeah, that's what this year has told us, right? I think one of the things that might benefit the Celtics is that Tibbs has been playing Rose and Peyton more than he's playing quickly. And I think quickly is the type of guard that gives us trouble, right? You know, he's a dude that can come off the high pick and roll. He's good in the mid range. He can hit the three. If they play Peyton 30 minutes tonight, I think the Celtics have a pretty good shot. Rose has, you know, I feel like we've always done a decent job covering Rose, but you know, he, he, he's another guy that can get into the paint and cause problems for us. But Quickly is the guy that I have my eye on. We actually have um, one of our buddies who's a huge Knicks fan that's going to come on our pod um, after the game to talk about it. And that's question number one we have for him is like, what is going on? Why is Emmanuel Quickly not, you know, getting more minutes for the Knicks? Because he's a dude that I think re- if, if they develop him right, He could be their starting point guard of the future. And then all the questions about the New York Knicks having washed up point guards, point guards past their prime, they finally have a young guy that they can go to. I'm I'm not necessarily worried about RJ Barrett. I'm not worried about anybody else really on the roster aside from quickly going off and then Julius Randle doing what Julius Randle does. And he's just a beast, man. He's an absolute beast. And I think it's going to be Robert Williams to start. And then I think Grant. Grant's the type of guy that, that I think could give Randall a little bit of issues. So if, if I, I'm expecting a big Grant game tonight. How about that? Making, making a hot take uh, prediction here on the pod. I think Grant one. Williams has a big game tonight. He needs one. God knows
1: he needs one. He's been, uh, he's been struggling all year. So any good news for Grant is good news for Boston <laughs> right now. Am I right in thinking that um, Mitchell Robinson's still out for New York?
0: I, I, know he's missed so. a la-
1: yeah, I think he's missed a large portion of the season. Um, I'm not 100% on that. I should have checked in with Jonathan Macri before we started recording, but I didn't. So, you know, everybody blame me if he plays tonight. I'm pretty sure um, he's out for a while. Yeah, I've, I know it was a, a good, good t- amount of time that he was going to miss, which means Rob Williams is going to have a, a, a decent game because there's going to be nobody there to buddy him. I think Mitch Robinson is the guy that I'd like Rob to be using as a barometer of how far he's developed once you can deal with mitch mitch's size and strength and still come out victorious you know you're closing in on being able to deal with Embiid. Mm-hmm. completely different talent levels between mitch and Embiid, but a similar size and frame so i'd like to see him at least start working towards getting the better of robinson and then know that
0: next the next fish you need to reel in is Embiid for sure and and then we also have uh the T wolves coming up so it's another great barometer game for rob williams going up against cat yeah
1: i'm very curious how he's going to deal with these elite level stretch fives Uh, i'd I'd, i'm very curious is he gonna sag off a little bit and dare them to shoot and then rely on the athleticism to try and alter the shot at the point of release is he going to play up high and risk getting beat with um over the top passes. I'm curious how he's going to adjust. Cause at the moment we've seen him against mid range pick and pop threats. We've seen him against low post threats. We saw a little bit against Embiid, but an elite stretch five is the next challenge that he, he has to overcome and kind of figure out like, this is a learning curve for this guy. Like he's been in and out of the team for like years now due to injury. Um, then he's on the bench. This is a big learning curve to go from playing against second units to being in with the starters against five other starting level players in the nba that's a completely different kettle of fish to what he's used to
0: yeah man i I think this this upcoming no next three games because what do we got we got um the knicks then we got the t wolves and who we play this weekend do you have a man i got a game by game at this (laughs) point well uh, yeah i mean the t wolves game is going to be huge for him man I mean, I even think back to um, that game against the Kings when Rashawn Holmes yeah. outplayed him, and Rashawn Holmes bullied him. And you saw what Tristan Thompson did to Rashawn Holmes back in in Sacramento. Thompson bullied Rashawn Holmes, you know. So may, maybe it's just a, a more mentoring for Tristan Thompson to do for Rob Williams, as he's has to like take take him into the block during practice and show him how to guard against physical dudes. Because as much as Thompson's over the hill right now, he's still one of the most physical bigs in the game. So, you know, maybe that's one of the things that behind the scenes Rob can continue to work on with, with Tristan, because we're going to need him to do it, man. I You know, I, unless the Celtics have a miracle and like Al Horford gets bought out and we can bring Al back, I don't see... The Celtics having anybody that can contend with these big guys, the elite bigs of the world that can take you out to the three-point line and take you into the post and beat you off the off the dribble, like these dudes. I mean, Embiid when he hit that, I forget who it was against. I think it was against Cornet, but he hit that through the legs, step back like yeah. twenty-footer last night. Like, what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do nothing, that?
1: at that point? You you have to just be tip, as Brad says, tip your cap mm-hmm. straight onto the next play. But I agree. I think that with Rob, it's going to be very much about his positioning and how he uses his body, whether, as you said at the top of this podcast, whether he uses it to get into guys' legs and play a bit lower under them, whether he uses it to allow them, let them lean in and pull the chair, go old school, whatever he needs to do to utilize his physical gifts he needs to use. And while I am championing for him to add some strength and some density to that frame, if that's going to negate his athleticism and his, um his explosion, then I'd caution against adding too much density because that explosion is what makes you um, an elite love for it. It's what makes you so, dangerous in that short roll area because teams have to guard for the deep roll to the rim but they can't let you lie in the mid-range because of your facilitation ability so it's going to be a very fine line for rubber it's it's fascinating this guy fascinates me man honestly i think
0: there's so many different avenues he can go yeah and i don't think he necessarily needs to get dense he just needs to get his core stronger And when That's you watch fair. him play it's, i mean he's got super high hips kind of similar to Tatum when Tatum was a rookie and he's Tatum still plays very upright but I mean I remember seeing Tatum the first time in Vegas man I went to the summer league that year and I was like this dude this dude doesn't have it he can't even like touch his knees when he bends over he had like no flexibility or anything like that so I I think with 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 Robert Williams he just needs to build out that core get his hips stronger you see too often when he's when he's walling up on defense too he has this tendency to kind of like thrust his hips out you know, and to commit those fouls that way. Um, so I think if, if he gets lower in his stance and is able to play hands off, because I, I mean, against Embiid, he's one of those dudes that just knows how to draw fouls. The moment he sees your hand is out, he's going to rip through it. So if he can play hands off, because he has great hands, I mean, he's got unbelievable instincts in the passing lanes and whatnot. He's got great hand eye coordination. Now he just got to learn the right techniques. And I think one of those techniques is definitely getting a little bit lower in your stance, playing hands off. One of the guys I think really does a good job of this on the Celtics is Semi. I mean, if you watch the way Semi plays defense, he's like two hands up, you know, in a squat position at all times. He's never getting caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Um, so that, that's a guy that I would like to see kind of tutor Rob on how to get better in the post and just, you know, get stronger.
1: The one downside to this is no one can tutor anyone at the moment due to the lack of practices. <laughs> I know, But no, I completely agree. I think uh, if you do keep Shemi around, it should be as, um, as a defensive positioning coach rather than a player. <laughs> uh, he's never going to go for it, obviously. But And then if you keep Thompson around, then you want him operating as a mentor too. Maybe probably not go as far as what um, Oklahoma did with Al and be like, you're not going to play at all. Mm-hmm. You're just going to mentor. But definitely put that role on there. You're earning $9 million next year you're going to earn every penny of it. And that's both on and off the floor. Uh, That pretty much wraps us up for today, Greg. But before we go, I do want to give you the opportunity to let everybody know where they can find you, what platforms, what Twitter profiles, any of the good stuff that you want to share.
0: Yeah, so I'm the host, uh, co-host of uh, the Green with Envy pod. That's at Green Envy pod on Twitter and Instagram on the 617 pod uh, as part of Crowworthy with Boston Diehards. Uh, so you can find us there and then you can check out my music. I'm in a band down here in Austin, Texas. That's called Black Sheep Optimist. Three words, Black Sheep Optimus. Um You can find us on Instagram at Black Sheep Optimist on Facebook, Spotify, anywhere you get your music. Uh, we got some new new stuff coming out soon. We released our first EP last year called Book One. Uh, so check that out. Uh, I think I think people will enjoy it. It's um, a mix of hip hop and like kind of indie pop, indie rock. So um yeah i appreciate you giving me a platform man this was fun man the pleasure's all mine man i appreciate you jumping on in a pinch you
1: helped me out a bunch um everybody make sure you go show some love to greg whether that be listening to his podcast after you listen to this one um <laughs> or whether that be to his music or following him on twitter a great guy knows his stuff uh, it's been one of my more enjoyable podcasts of recently having the moment the time to chop it up with greg as usual if you've enjoyed listening please consider leaving that five-star review helps us out enormously not just me personally it helps my ego but let's be honest it helps to show it helps it gets to show more visibility if you're not one for leaving reviews if you're like no it's too much hassle that's fine just um, mention it to your friends and family that are celtics fans next time you're watching a game and it's half time nobody knows what to do but like hey i know this podcast and there's an english guy in, in he's got a weird accent let's listen to this Um, you can catch me again on friday when we'll be talking i don't know what we'll be talking about depends how the next two days go but we will be talking there'll be words thank you again for listening greg thank you again for being part of the show no doubt brother